This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that still gets a thrill when the postman drops something in the letterbox. I'm Andrew Page, and with me is Scott Phillips. G'day, Andrew. G'day, fools. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, mate, and to all our listeners. This is our final podcast before the big day. Yes. Before the jolly fat man comes down the chimney, and no, that's not me. <laughs> uh, we'll have Santa you arriving. You the door. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not that silly. Come on. We send the size of those chimneys? Uh, we, we, this is our last one before Christmas, and we thought, what do we think? Well, we thought what we would do, we've promised this for a while. We, we often request questions. Um, we often prattle on for too long, and we don't get around to answering those questions. So we thought, let's you, you mean You mean delve deeply into delve, really important finance topics. We do the deep dive, mate. We're all about the we, deep dive. Exactly. Thorough detail. We thought what we would do is we would dedicate an entire podcast to answering the questions from listeners, and we've gotten some really good questions. That's right. Our inaugural mailbag edition the of mailbag Triple M's edition. Money. We got some really, really fantastic ones. We did. And we'll try and call out the questioners as well as their questions as we go. And let's 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 tag team this one. I'll go first, and then and then we'll we'll go from there. Work the team you? and do it your way. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're a team, and we do it my way. <laughs> A friend, uh, so sorry, this is uh, Rocky V Cricket. He, um, Thank you very much for the question. This one came through a little while ago, mm-hmm. and uh, we, we apologise for the lateness. So we're going to kick the show off with this one. Uh, and Rocky V Cricket says, A friend of mine was telling me about an Acorn app for investing. He didn't know anything about it, had a little bit of a read, but uh, he just basically thought, you know, he'd ask us what our thoughts were on it. So, mate, do you want to start by telling us what this Acorn thing is? You just said you'd go first. You've no, I've been asked the question. <laughs> <laughs> Funny that. All right, so here's the cool thing about some of the modern tech these days is Acorn, as a, as a piece of software, as an app on a phone and whatever, throws extra change from any transactions into a particular savings account. So here's how it works. Let's say you go to the shop and you pay $3.40 for a coffee. That'd be a relatively cheap coffee, right? See that is very we, cheap. I think we paid yes. about 4 bucks this morning. Yes. Let's say you pay $3.40 for a coffee. Mm-hmm. You can set the app to round up that amount either to the next dollar or the next five dollars mm. and throw the difference into a savings account into an investment account you know i used to do, i still do this when I, my monetary transaction my physical monetary transactions are, are exponentially declining yeah, i'm right. all about the tap and go these days but um i always had a wallet that doesn't have uh, room for coins yep. so at the end of the day i'd have a big bucket at home and i just i chuck my my coins in there at the end of the year there'd actually be a few hundred bucks there so I, I loved it and, dude, and that's this a is very kind of... 1980s solution because here we're now in the new century <laughs> Apparently, and uh, and Acorn is the, is the solution it's for the, the tap and go generation. It's right. the digital equivalent exactly. of that. Exactly. And so, so the, basically, the app is, it exists to allow you to do that. Then you can take that money and invest it normally in an index option of one sort or another. We've mm-hmm. discussed indexes before, mm-hmm. uh, but the other is basically to try and kind of it's it's the odd nudge theory, right? The behavioural economics that we've talked about before. You really don't notice it's missing, like your coins in the jar. Yep. Um, but at the end of the year, at the end of a couple of years, hopefully that money starts to grow, compound, and deliver a really, really nice result. Now, we should mention we have no commercial arrangement at all. with Acorn. Although, Acorn, if you would like us to promote your product, <laughs> please drop us a line. We are we are very happy to take your money. But, but uh, if we did, we would disclose it we, for the record. Of course we would. But but I guess well, what we're, we're really coming from here is we like the idea. But I'll, I'll give you some, just for the sake of balance, I'll give you some thoughts. I think True. it's wonderful because it, it automates the process. It builds up without you really being aware of it. You'll do this for 10 years and one day you'll wake up with a big pile of cash that you wouldn't otherwise have had. Mm-hmm. And for that, it is a wonderful thing. At the On the other hand, this isn't a charity. This right. is a business. Right. They make money. There are fees involved. Yes. And here, so here's the... Look, I have two issues with Which is nothing wrong with that, right? We're a business too. I mean, you're allowed to make money. Correct, it's fine. Correct. 
The question is whether that's worth the users using their business. Right. If, we're not, if we're not generating value for our customers, they will go elsewhere. Mm. If Acorn isn't generating money for its customers, hopefully those customers will also go elsewhere, or at least those who aren't getting value from it. Here are the two problems. The first is the fees are relatively punitive for, for small sums. And so you can find yourself investing your money or, or putting your money into the Acorns app and all of a sudden finding out that over, over time, it actually doesn't do a great deal of incremental value um, in, if you're only investing small amounts or putting small amounts aside. Um, so that's that's the first thing. Um, I, I think the, the second thing is I, I have a small problem with Acorns in the sense that, and this is not Acorns' fault at all, it's the behavioral economics thing writ large, which is just because you think something else is, is being done, just you know, when you feel like you started, so let, let, let's, let's take a step back. You've been wondering for years, oh, I've really got to get started investing, really got to get started, really got to get started. That's really good advice. Then you were down like Acorns, you go, oh, thank God I got started. I don't have to worry about that anymore. Mm. And my worry is that, that to some extent, yes, something is better than nothing, but something can actually be worse than nothing if it stops you, if it, if it takes that incentive, that, that motivation mm. out of your head to do more than that. Yep. You're not going to get rich. You're not going to, frankly, fund a retirement on the Acorns app. No. It's a nice nudge. It's a nice way to get started. It's nice way to add small incremental amounts to your retirement portfolio, um, but it's not anywhere near enough. So yes, use Acorns if you can make it make sense, and that means you have to save larger amounts. Mm -hmm. Smaller amounts is not worth it. And you can do top-ups. and that Exactly, yeah. and, and that's where you start to... But again, that's the point, right? So mm -hmm. if you can use it to add real amounts of money to, to make sure you don't get lulled into a false sense of security that is enough... Mm -hmm. Uh, then it's probably worth doing. But just be a little bit careful there. As I said, the fees continue and you can get lulled into a false sense of security. That's probably not a great thing. And it's it's like a lot of things. Like, uh, you know, do you need a personal trainer? Just go for a bloody jog. You know, do you need... I'm not talking about Jesus. you. Jesus. Oh, you got a personal trainer? It's almost Christmas, mate. mate. You need to change trainers. If that's <laughs> oh. the case. Sorry, sorry. Oh, that's harsh. unfair. Low blow. But what I'm... If, what you, I'm... Want to, if you want to criticise Andrew for that low blow, feel free to tweet, <laughs> tweet him at sage underscore Simeon and do. tell him that uh, I'm not such a... But I guess what I'm saying is the, the best alternative is always to do it yourself because then you, then no one's getting a cut, right? So if you're we, – again, we know that most people yep. don't. We're all yep. humans. We're all fallible. But there is nothing better than just taking charge and doing it yourself. And if you're a, not going to do it, this is a great plan B. Right, and that's a great summary because take the personal trainer example. Mm. If all you do is go to the gym once a week yep. and you do 20 minutes walking on a treadmill and you eat like crap and you don't do any exercise the rest mm. of the week yep. but you feel like, I'm getting healthier, I'm going to the gym. Yeah, look at all this money I spent on a personal trainer. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so you, you're kind of wasting your time money, effort, everything, you've got to do more than just get started. But if this is a motivator, if this is a, a first step and you're, you're committed to taking a second or third and fourth step, then by all means have a look. Excellent summary. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Let's go to Luke Gallagher now. That's... Luke has sent in some uh, a bunch of questions. Thank actually. you, Luke. And some really good ones. So via uh, our Facebook page. Via our Facebook page, yeah. yes. Um, let's uh, let's dive into it. Everyone talks about having a diverse portfolio and sharing the risk over a few holdings. Good idea. But as a retail investor, where do you stop? At the moment, I have 14 holdings, just down from 15, after I stupidly sold my A2 milk after the pullback about oh, a month ago. Sorry, uh, that, there's, 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 a, there's a whole topic right there. <laughs> um, I'm struggling to keep track of this many holdings. Is there a magic number to hold? Um, length of a piece of string type question, very much true, <laughs> but keen to hear your thoughts. It is an excellent question, Luke. Uh, you can go first this time. Okay. Mate. Look, so I'm going I'm to give the nerdy uh, oh, uh, academic Maybe answer. I should go first. 
which look, Lucy's going to be disappointed oh. if I don't nerd out. So oh, right. I'm going to do it. Um, you sure? At least in my head, that's I would be disappointed. The so, okay. so there's been a lot of studies on this, yes. and that you you do get uh, different approaches and and therefore different conclusions. But the boffins tend to say that what you want is somewhere between 15 and 25 in terms of the number of holdings they're going to minimise your risk. You will never diversify your way to zero risk, right? But in terms well, of well, you can by holding an ETF, right? But that's, that's well, even then, there's there's um, systemic risk, right? True. There's always you know the market as a whole can can do some scary things. So true. So uh, yeah, so that that's the kind of number that you want it to go for. I would say and this is just personally my my view. Yes. I, I think that. I actually run into a surprisingly number of a number of people who have like thirty or forty holdings, right. and and I think it's madness. I think it's madness because you're never going to get to know all of those companies, particular unless you are like a full time kind of guy. Yeah. Um, I, I think you you actually you actually start to increase your risks because you you're so out of touch with all of your companies that a lot of things can can sort of fall through to the keeper. Mm. Um, I I'm actually the kind of guy with my personal portfolio. I actually kind of happy with ten um, because I. I, I like the concentration. Speaking of madness, yeah, and a lot zero of people look at that. Oh, I kind of think, look, if one of them goes to zero, it's ten. You know, all else being equal, that's a ten percent loss. <laughs> that's all. I'm comfortable Easy, with that. Yeah. So you know, again, there is there is no uh, magic number. The other Make thing, give me a hundred bucks, give you ninety bucks back. <laughs> the other thing I would say <laughs> is that, that where right? where you see a big um, uh, a misstep with diversification is that again, this is more particular with the baby boomers. You run and say, yeah, I've got a really diversified portfolio. I own Westpac. I own <laughs> NAB. I own ANZ. I own Macquarie. Uh, CBA, like that is, that is a very to again use a technical term is a very correlated risk. So when we're saying fifteen stocks, you want to you're not going to find fifteen different sectors easily, but you want to make sure that that is not all in the one. That, that right, you're not right. in companies that all share similar industry wide risks. You finished nerding out. I could go on. You could. I'm not going to let you. Okay. So here's my take on the question, and I'll be quick because we need to keep moving. Uh, I think I, did, I think ten is too few for almost everybody. I think people like you who who are super passionate spend lots and lots of time and effort and energy on it. You can probably justify if you're good at investing holding ten, even if you're super what do you passionate. Mean if? Well, no. So I've got, well, <laughs> good point. Okay. You should hold more. Yes. Now, okay, so for those out there who are listening, who are, who who have a track record of being good at this stuff. By all means, carry less if you've proven to yourself that you can invest well. Mm. To the extent you haven't proven that to yourself, or frankly, you're not sure, holding a small amount is probably kind of getting towards that gambling thing. The chance that you've got the right 10 or the best 10 stocks gets Mm. lower and lower the less time, effort, energy, and less track record you have. I reckon for most people, 20 is about the right number. As you said, Andrew, the top of of the diversification range is about 25. Uh, As Luke says, though, buy as many as you can keep track of. The good thing about having more rather than fewer, though, is that if you make a mistake where you can't keep track of that many, at least having more means you've got a more diversified portfolio and it's going to have less of an impact on your overall results. So if you are going to make a mistake with the 21st, 22nd, 23rd best stock, mm-hmm. um, it's going to be by definition relatively small. So I, I think I think you're smart to take a diversified portfolio. But as, as Andrew says, 25 banking stocks, 25 mining stocks is not diversification. A broad range of diversified companies across a broad range of industries. I would say 20 should be about your 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 guide. Um, I know, Luke, you're having trouble keeping track of them. I, I probably would err on the side of having a few more with a little bit less attention than a few less with a little bit more attention, just given the risks that, that a concentrated portfolio can 
can bring if you're not already great at this sort of thing. Oh, I've got to say one more thing. Oh, one more thing very quickly. Me. A lot of people um, get a bit intimidated by it because they, especially when you're new to investing, you think I've got to find 20 and then I've got to start. Yeah, uh, good you, point. you don't That's have to start with 20. Yes. Yes. Buy a stock, yes. you know, and save up a bit more. Then buy, like, yes, you are going to be very, very concentrated in the early days. But yep. when you look at it over a, a time series, yep. uh, that's fine. You don't have to get there in one step. Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner says get to 15 as quickly as you can. Yes. I think that's pretty good advice because mm-hmm. it means that you're not likely to see your third or fourth pick go badly and then discourage you or stop you from continuing to invest. The faster you can get diversified, the better. Yep. But as you say, Andrew, it's one stock at a time by definition. Um, you're going to have to hold your nose and plough through the first couple of years until you get to that sort of number. Yep, absolutely. Uh, let's let's roll right on. I've, Luke's got a second one and we'll, we'll do this one quickly, but it is a good one. And oh, I'm man. just going to paraphrase good luck doing it quickly. He's basically saying He's basically saying that when he reads some of our recommendations, we, we, we tend to put a, a specific section aside for management. Those recommendations at uh, The Motley Fool? Yes. Okay. Motley Fool Dividend Investor and Share Advisor? Yes, okay. that's right. Nice just, plug. Just nice. Thank you, mate. You like nice. that? That was uh, smooth. That was very Listeners will have subtle, no idea where to just drop that in. I know. Um, uh, so basically <laughs> saying, you know, how much of a factor is that? What are the kind of things you look for when trying to evaluate the quality of management? Mm. So I'll start. I'll say that I think management quality is super, super, super important, but it is also one of the hardest things oh, yeah. to measure. Um, really, really, really hard to measure. Uh, it, it, it is such a subjective type thing. So there are certain heuristics that we can use. Oh, we love heuristics? it. Heuristics? Uh, rules of thumb. That's better. I just sound smarter when I use the word heuristics. <laughs> Always use a big word and say it confidently, I was taught. More us than class. And so, so what, what is bullshit you, a big word? <laughs> that's right. Okay, all right. If you can't dazzle them with brilliance, baffle them with bullshit. Amen, right? brother. There's another one. That's that's the one of our podcasts, isn't it? <laughs> I think that's it. So um, I, I love uh, looking for management that have yeah. serious skin in the game. Again, right, that right. doesn't guarantee anything, but if they've got a lot of shares in their own company, well, when I say a lot of shares, you know, that it might big companies might only be half a percent of the overall company. Yeah. But if it's a, a meaningful proportion of their personal wealth, that's the key. And I think also it's an important caveat or subtle distinction here. It's not just stuff that they've been gifted by the company. It obviously still helps. But when you've, when you've actually seen a, a manager who's put money in on market with their own cash on a purely discretionary type basis, I think that's a pretty good sign. You disagree? I, I agree with you, though. I just think it's those who, you know. If you're going to get two, three, four million dollars worth of shares, you're not going to have earned that in salary for the most part. Okay, sure, 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 sure. To some degree, I, I, I agree. Yes, absolutely. It's a good sign to see them actively buying. Yes. But if they're going to be given X million dollars worth, or they were a founder, a co-founder, early investor, and they've amassed a certain amount, yes, um, the, the amount of money they will probably put into the shares on market is relatively small yep. compared to whatever proportion they may already own. So yes, yep. it's a good sign generally. Um, but I wouldn't discount that the shares they were gifted already had as part of the business. Yeah, yeah. Look, I don't discount it fully. I just like it better when yes, they buy I agree it with that. On, on market. I agree with that. Um, another thing that I really like with management is the, the people who, when they talk, whether it's at the AGM or through the ASX releases and the announcements, they're talking long term. You, you see a lot of managers, CEOs, that so, well, t- six twelve months. Yeah, there is basically talking about what's what the next quarter is going to bring. There's a <laughs> right. huge focus on the share price. I hate it. I hate it when management are talking about the share price of their company. It's the they don't have much direct control over that. Um, I don't think. In fact, if they focus on growing the earnings of the company in a sustainable way, that will all come out in the wash right, anyway. Right. So I, I love management who think deeply. I think they think the focus is the business, not the share price. Yep. And they're making strategic decisions that play out over five or ten years that is what i love to see uh what else would you add mate i think that's awesome and i i like that i got a couple of things very quickly the first is as you already mentioned i'll just reiterate it's very very hard to judge the quality of management so we're looking for things that we believe are correlated with 
management and then good outcomes for businesses. And that's kind of so management aspects that that probably give us a, a higher likelihood of being right. Mm. I will say for what it's worth to take a slightly different view. Um, it's it's possible for a wonderful manager to be running a terrible business. Yes. And Warren Buffett's, I, won't, I don't know the exact quote, but effectively he said that when a great manager runs a terrible business, it's the reputation of the business that remains intact. So yep. you could have the best CEO in the world who then goes to run the worst business in the world and it, the business will still suck. Yep. So don't fall into the trap of saying, great manager, therefore I'll get great results. Yep. On the flip side, frankly, there are also times when bad managers can still have good results because the company economics are good. Or, so, or there's a rising tide scenario. Exactly. You know, there's a strong wind at their back and right, any idiot right. can do well. Yeah, there, there, there are great times to be involved in certain industries. For example, in airlines, I actually really, really rate Alan Joyce. Yeah. Um, but I have to say that, it, you know, if he can leave that job with it with kind of still afloat, that is a spectacular result. He's done, he's um, done wonders. On the flip side, the results, the profits he's got recently are largely because of the foiling oil price, which has nothing to do with Alan Joyce and everything to do with the economics of the industry. So yep, yep. just be a little bit careful Yes, we want great managers. We want shareholder-friendly managers, people who give it to us straight, people who focus on the long term, as you say, Andrew. Um, I, I, it's incredibly important, but I would say I'd be careful not to overweight it in the sense that if you start to – those correlated elements aren't necessarily sufficient to overcome the industry or, or company dynamics. So, yes, consider it. Yes, prefer it. Uh, just be a little bit careful that you don't use it to the exclusion of other factors, which actually might be more relevant and more likely to be correlated or, or causation. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Got a great question from Lloyd. He's, he says, I'm a fan of the podcast. Thanks, mate. Um, my brother-in-law is actually Liam's brother-in-law. Uh, I have a uh, so wife, excellent. sister, wife. Brother, okay, got it. Got yes, okay. It. okay um, yep. uh, he's also enjoyed uh, giving his uh, brother a stick about Bitcoin. Good on you. Uh, my question is, if he was to sell his Bitcoin and, and cash in his huge profit, bastard, would he have to pay capital gains tax on the profit? You're a bitter, bitter man. I, mate, I, only because I'm not participating in it, but... What do you reckon? Do you pay tax on something like that? How much is my Bitcoin worth? Did you say <laughs> you have to? You have to be able to sell it, mate, before you can before you can cash out. Oh, it's worth something. Surely. I was hoping we could get through a podcast without Bitcoin, <laughs> but not so much luck. Not really. I, look, as long as I'm here, mate, I'm going to mention Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, I, I will. I will put myself in though. I am actually down a little bit. I'm down a few percent since last week. Woo! So there you go. Still up 173 percent, mind Woo. you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, the answer is yes. The uh, Bitcoin is an asset, like any other financial asset. Um, if you are an investor for the purposes of tax, which is most of us, mm -hmm. um, then any gain will be taxable under the capital gains tax regime. If you hold it for less than a year, you're up for the full swig. If you hold it for more than a year, then you get a concessional rate of CGT, about half of what you'd otherwise pay. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're a trader for tax purposes, and if you don't know what that means, assume you're not. But if you are, it's taxed as regular income. I, I think that uh, summarises and answers it perfectly. As a brief tangent, can I just say, I think that oh, smart go. investors should all Always contemplate the tax situation that they are in, and a smart investor or a smart person will always seek to minimise their tax. Hey, I've minimised my capital gains tax, dude. I still can't sell. <laughs> you, can't, you, you won't have any tax. <laughs> um, so that's that's. Let, let's let's acknowledge that. However, I was going to say I don't. It's, I always think it's a bad idea when tax considerations become your driving force. Good man. Believe it or not, I've actually had people complain to me in the past on the occasional recommendation that's actually worked out for me. And and they've done really, really well. And then there's like, oh, but now I have to pay bloody tax on it. You should be on your hands 
hands and knees thanking Lord in heaven that you actually made a good capital, that you've got a huge tax bill. Because <laughs> yeah, the only right. way that I've ranted on this before, I think we're about 10 different high horses. No. The best, the best thing that you can do is have a huge tax bill because that means you've made a lot of money. The only way to legally avoid paying tax through investing is to not make money. So I would say absolutely consider tax, mm-hmm. but don't let it drive your investment decision. So you'll have other scenarios too where you might be sitting on a good paper gain and there are some really uncertain things happening with your business. Perhaps the, the investment thesis is broken and yeah. people say, yeah, but I just want to hold on a bit longer and then I can minimize my tax. I think that is that is fuzzy thinking. It is a consideration. It's not the primary consideration. Yeah, so I, I'm going to put a, a slightly tighter bow on that and then we'll move on. Mm-hmm. I have always said the way I phrase this is you want to maximize your after-tax returns. Yes, yes. And that keeps both in context. So you're maximizing your returns considering the tax implications. You're not minimizing tax. You're maximizing your after-tax returns. That puts the right framing around it and makes you, hopefully, helps you make the right decision. We see a bit of it in dividend land where people will absolutely avoid any unfranked dividend no matter what. So there'll be people who say, it's a 5% unfranked dividend. I don't want it. Oh, well, look, there's a 2.5% fully franked dividend. I want that. Now, to your point, after tax, the unfranked dividend in that example is much better. So you have to think through that. Don't, Don't be too... Um, polarized in your thinking. I, I've got a. I, I, this is one of my favorite Warren Buffett quotes. It's very rarely used, um, but it's used in a. You can use in a whole lot of, of areas. This is my favorite. So, so he says at the end of an op-ed that he wrote in 2012. In the meantime, maybe you'll run into someone with a terrific investment idea who won't go forward with it because of the tax he would owe when it succeeds. I love this. Send him my way. Let me unburden him. I love that. And that exactly, that's, that's the story, right? Buffett was talking about, about company tax rates or, or individual tax rates. The, the key message there, of course, is that if you're not going to do something that's actually profitable just because you owe some tax... That's a really, really stupid approach. Really to dumb. Really dumb. Have we got uh, one more question from Rocky V? Oh, we did too. We yeah. did. Uh, sorry, Rocky. Let's come back to. And this is a good one, actually. This is one of um, uh, the recommendations on, oh, on dividend investors. Come nerding out. You're, we're in trouble here. <laughs> so if you want to leave the podcast now, hey, no, don't leave the podcast yet. We've got some thank yous and some Merry Christmases. So Trans Urban are the guys that do a bunch of toll roads around the place. <laughs> if you've driven a car anywhere in Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane, chances are you've put some money into their pocket. They've done well to not be the most hated company in the country. Never how much toll revenue they extract from all Just of us. Going to people. People know the roads. They, they don't often know the company that sits <laughs> oh, behind mate. them. Anyway. So uh, the, the, these, the, the, you talk about monopolies. You talk about yeah. pricing power. You talk about durable assets. You talk about, I mean, umpteen different things that you sort of go down the checklist of wonderful companies. Transurban's got it. And I, I love it as a business. All right. So you've just, you just given a nice pump for your recommendation. But that wasn't Rocky's question. Yeah, I love it. it. I love, if you want to set and forget bottom draw type <laughs> oh, dividends. Still stock, I'm still going. He's still going. Man, what a great. <laughs> don't overthink the price, by the way. Anyway. Anyway. Um, what was the question, mate? So he's basically saying, so what Transurban um, are building a, a new tunnel down in Melbourne. Yes. Uh, off the top of my head, I forget. I six, you dig a tunnel, you go and build a tunnel, don't you? you? Very true. Yeah. If you want to get technical, mate, you do. You, you, you dig a you dig a tunnel. I'm more, I like being technical. Yeah, you, you know me. Uh, it, it's it's a very it's a very boring job if I can oh, use a terrible. Oh dear, right, dear. <laughs> yeah. You're uh, really digging deep for that, that one. That's, that's borrowed from Elon Musk. Uh, so yeah, you're he can share in the blame there. Digging deep. Oh, okay, yeah, right. I've got to you three times. You really do know how to call a spade a spade, don't you? So. Anyway, so Transurban has, in, in, in doing this, these, these projects are super, super, super expensive. They need to raise a bunch of cash. And in doing that, they've gone to the... Mate, there's no bottomless money pit around. <laughs> Let's just kill it at this point. Oh, right, okay. So they, they have said, uh, shareholders, we need some more money. So they pass just the hat few. around yeah. and, and they say, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to... How much do they want, by the way? 
Oh, you're going to test me. That was six billion altogether, I think. Well, they're looking to raise one point nine million from shareholders. Billion, billion with billion. a B, exactly. and they'll be taking some more debt on through their lenders and all, all right. the rest of it. How so are they raising the one point nine? They're billion doing dollars? it through a fully underwritten pro rider accelerated renounceable entitlement offer. You're welcome, Rocky. Makes perfect thanks sense. For, thanks for and on to the next question. <laughs> so okay, let's break this down. Let's break I'm, it. I'm going to make you answer the questions. Oh man. Okay. All right. So let, I'm going to so I'm going to say what you said slowly, and then we're mm, going to break mm-hmm. down. Fully underwritten mm, pro rider mm, accelerated mm-hmm. renounceable. Announceable mm-hmm. entitlement offer. Mm-hmm. I think it's designed to just put people to sleep. But okay, let's start. Fully underwritten. What is that? So fully underwritten means that if any shareholders choose not to participate, okay, some there's an underwriter out there that will take up the slack. Okay, so, so you've, you've, you've got. We'll, we're sort of jumping ahead, but there are every shareholder's got a potential to do this, and if they don't do it, yep. The underwriter said, "I will, I will fulfil their obligation." So Transurban knows it needs one point nine billion, and the off chance that the shells don't stump up the cash, they've got to make sure they can raise it from someone. S- someone has underwritten the capital raise, which basically means that they'll they'll stump up the cash if shareholders don't. And investment. All right, that's yep. fully underwritten. You can have partially underwritten, of course. Yes, that's why it's fully underwritten, or completely the entire not amount underwritten at all. Exactly. But if pro, you want to raise the cash, then that's a good way to go about pro it. Pro rata. Yep. Pro rata means that we're going to do it in a way where everyone benefits. Equally, Dude, so, you must second Latin at high school, did you? So if you you're on fire. If you own ten percent of the company, yes, you're going to have a opportunity to participate in ten percent of this raising. Wouldn't everyone do that? Uh, well, someone might own point five. A lot, lot of our small shareholders are going to own point oh 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 one percent. But whatever <laughs> your whatever your proportional owning ownership is, yep. that is the proportion that you are able to participate in. So it's very very fair. And is that? Is that regular? Is that normal? All companies do? Uh, no. Some of them... So what, what, uh, I'm going to jump ahead here. They're, they're, when we could really go right, right down the road. <laughs> there, are no, there are a billion ways to do uh, a, a capital raising. A lot of them are very, very unfriendly to existing shareholders. Right. What Transurban have done is pretty much the gold standard. It's about as fair and equal as you can possibly have. Others will basically say, we need to have money. We need to do it fast. We're just going to go to a bunch of institutions and we're going to let them participate in it. And the retail suckers, too bad, so sad. You can't participate. <laughs> You're going to be diluted as a result of it. All right. So that's pro rata. So that's pro rata. <laughs> now, we all know what accelerated means in, in general life. What does it mean in the context of a capital raise? It means it's going to proceed pretty quickly. They're going, <laughs> they're going to raise the lion's share of that through the institutions who are the largest shareholders anyway. But I think when they announced that it's sort of it's sort of come out and been done in a very 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 quick fashion. They need the cash. They need it now. They're not going to they're not going to spend the next six months chasing this cash. All right, renounceable. So this is the great. I renounce. Let's denounce. What's renounceable? <laughs> yes. Um, so this is the great part. So there are other non-renounceable rights offers, which basically say if you don't participate participate, then that's it. So non-renounceable is use it or lose it? Use it or lose it. Renounceable says you can you can participate in this thing. If you don't participate, you can sell your right to participate to someone else. So there'll be a bunch of shareholders out there for a whole bunch of different reasons. Maybe you've got a, a, enough of a waiting in Transurban yep. you don't want anymore. Maybe you don't have any cash on, on the sidelines that you can actually stump up right. to, to, to buy these extra shares. So, you, But what you can do is you can go on market. And by the way, anyone who is a Transurban shareholder, you look in your brokerage account, they would have been added for you already. They are actually trading on the market. And you can can say I just want to I just want to sell these rights. So it means again with the share price not moving or anything like that, you are you are no worse off by selling your rights because the rights will be priced on the market to the equivalent value of what you'd actually make by exercising them in the first place. Yep. So if the shares are ten bucks, you could buy them for nine. Yep. Your rights will trade for about a buck. About a buck. Give or That's take. That's pretty good. So either way, you either get shares at a dollar discount 
where you can sell that money and get the dollar for yourself. You are no worse off by by doing this. That's pretty cool. And I have to say, that's our gold standard in terms of uh, approaches. Very few companies do it, very disappointingly. Those who do deserve, we talk about management quality, this is a nice uh, evidence of a shareholder-friendly management team. And just a very quick one, Rocky, before we move on. The thing to remember here is if you do absolutely nothing, if you happen to decide to go to Antarctica for the next uh, six months, uh, what will happen is... Do they have the internet there? The, 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 the company will just sell your rights for you and you'll get the cash at the average price that that went through. Nice. Uh, so, no so, so you, no. you, no matter what you do, even if you do nothing, you are not going to be worse off. So it is, as I said, a wonderful offer. All right. And then the entitlement offer itself we've covered. That's basically when the company needs money and they say, we're going to go to all of our shareholders and say, guys, we need some cash. Would you please give us some extra money so we can grow the profits of the organisation? Yep, that's it. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, when we sat down to think about what questions and what we would do, yes. we, as we always do, we said, oh, man, are we going to fill 25, 30 minutes with we, this? We said that. I said. Uh, and I said. And you said, mate, we are easy. There you go. Do <laughs> and I'm looking at the clock, and we are coming up on 30 minutes. I'm not so. sure if that makes you a pessimist or an optimist that we finish early. Depends on what I our listeners I always worry that there's not enough to talk about, and we always go over. <laughs> so anyway, well, one day I'll learn that lesson. But we, <laughs> now, will, we, will, we will tie a knot in it there. <laughs> But before you do, mm-hmm. we do want to say a very Merry Christmas to our listeners. We want to thank you very much for taking the time, making the effort. We know your time is precious um, without being too OTT about it. Um, we know you can be doing a whole lot of other stuff that you choose to listen to us. We very much appreciate Thank you to those who've written in with questions, with comments. Uh, we haven't got any brickbats yet, but I'm sure they're coming. Yes. They're going to be far away. Yes. They must have lost our address. <laughs> uh, so, guys, thank you very much for, for listening, for taking the time. Uh, we've greatly enjoyed bringing this to you. Definitely. Thank you to Liam, to Ben, uh, to some of our other producers who've looked after us this year. Yeah, the whole um, Triple M Liam crew. Is the, Liam is the, the, the main guy who, who does a fantastic job. Um, but every now and again, when he's not here, we have other producers from the Triple M crew, as you say, who've done a fantastic job. Uh, thank you to the Triple M content director, Mike Fitzpatrick, as well, for giving us a go. Yes. Um, he called us out of the blue once and said, hey, can you guys do a podcast? And we said, we don't know. We'll give it a go. Mm-hmm. He either liked it enough or hasn't listened to it since. But in any case, we're still <laughs> on air. Yeah. And we, we very much appreciate it. So with that, Merry Christmas and thank you for listening. Yeah, well said, mate. Um, uh, and the only thing I'll add, uh, given, given the topic of the show, is that keep those questions coming. We love it, nice especially when we're trying to figure out what the hell to talk about. It really can save our bacon <laughs> at times. And uh, supposed to pretend this is the magic of podcast. Okay, you don't admit sorry, that. Sorry, we've got so many things to talk about, but we rather do mailbag is what you're supposed to say. <laughs> but we do. I mean, we, it's 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 not always easy to second guess what people want to talk about. Yeah, so point. so like if if there are some burning questions out there, send them through. We will do our best to answer them. And frankly, the more questions you send through, the less time Andrew's got to go off on one of his technical nerdy. <laughs> no, you know, don't, don't be so sure, mate. <laughs> do not be so sure. <laughs> Help us, please. Help me. Please. <laughs> so right. again, the usual wind up. Remember, you can subscribe to Triple M Motley Full Money, and you should, and you should through iTunes or your Android <laughs> f- favorite Android podcast app. I should be able to say this by uh, rote uh, you now, but people but would I... imagine this might be recorded. We can probably do a really polished version and play it at the end, but we're not that nah. good. No. Uh, and uh, you know, we're up to you. Yeah, no, you know, you've made me lose my space. If you oh, like what we're doing, if you like what we're doing, <laughs> thank you. Give us a big fat five star rating. Hey, if you don't ask, it doesn't happen, right? Exactly. And please tell your friends. Tell Give your them some friends. Christmas listening joy. Uh, if nothing else, they'll be hopefully educated, entertained and amused, which happens to be our reason for being here at The Motley Fool. Fantastic. Mate, you have yourself a Merry Christmas. And you, sir. And we will see all you fools in the new year. Full on. Full on. The 
The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.